he's pointing at me. I guess I need to go. Hi. <laughs> now he's counting down. Welcome to Real Nerds. I am Ryan Frost. Uh, next to me is James. Hi, everybody. And in front of me is Brad. Hey, guys. Wow, that was pathetic, Brad. Hey, everybody. <laughs> thank you. you thank you. There you go. Um, you got to get some of that radio voice going. <laughs> welcome to our second episode. Well, actually, our third episode. But uh, Two and a half. Two and a half. We'll call it two, two and a half. Remember Two and a Half Men? Remember that show with Charlie Sheen? I can't forget it. A lot of people can't. Uh, anyways, I listened to the first one, and I thought it was actually really funny. But uh, the problem I had with it is we had no structure. So this uh, this week, I actually sat down my what would be a good structure for the show? And uh, I thought that we would start off with movie news, and then we would go into DVDs we watch for the week, and then we'd go into our feature review, which is Dude. Super 8 this week. Do you I, think uh, first you could actually just tell people the title of the show, even though they kind of know what it is? He said the title of the show. What? I said real nerds. What? Did you? I'm going to yeah. hit you. I said, welcome to real nerds. <laughs> Look at me. Pick, um, this is my pick in a fight with you. This, no one can see this. You haven't even started talking about the movie and you want to kick my ass? Well, this, yeah. this, this dude's sitting right oh, here no. not even listening to the most important person in this room. That's me. I was busy. <laughs> what, what are you watching anyway, on the computer? I'm the I tech think... guy. I'm ma- making sure that it doesn't quit on us so that we don't talk for an hour and then... I, I like to waste. I liked it better when he didn't talk. Yeah, I know. Uh, so yeah, everybody I, does. I, I think your structure is fantastic, mostly because uh, as you listen to those things, I was like, "Oh shit, those are all the things I want to talk about." Nice. Well, yeah. No, I thought I'm I should. I'm not attacking your structure. I just, I just missed the part where you said real nerds. Oh yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, He's really proud of that pun. I mean, it is his. Uh, we, we have to give him credit. Yeah, he it did was, come up with that one. He came up with that. It's pretty damn good. I didn't change the name of the show for, just because I like my name. I just no. I don't know if we can use Wookie as a. <laughs> well, no, and it's also, it also it takes the uh, the burden off of me as far as if there's a week where uh, I'm right. not here, which yeah, we thought of that happen. too. You know, we were talking, and I guess we were thinking about either calling it "Real Nerds" or "Spoiler Spoiler Alert." Right. But I guess there's already a spoiler alert. Uh, Several yeah, actually. <laughs> oh, I bet there are. Yeah. So, so we went with "Real Nerds," and you told me there's a "Real Nerds" website. That, uh, yeah, uh, a blog site. A blog Blogger site. That, um, yeah. They don't have a podcast, but they've got a blog. And so, if they ever want to do a podcast, they can't. We just ruined it for them. <laughs> we just ruined it. We should. We should copyright the name "Real Nerds." We should. We should. I think you should have your own blog site too. Well, should but you? then they would. No, nah, yeah. See, it's too well, easy well, for them to just call their podcast something like "Real Nerdcast" right. or "Real Cast" or "RNCast." <laughs> I should stop giving them ideas, shouldn't I? You should. I don't stop. think you have to worry. I don't think they're ever going to listen to this. Right. Dude, we're going to get so big. People are going to be like Kevin Smith. They're going <laughs> to offer to put their product on here. Like right now, I'm drinking a Coke Zero, and I love it. Apparently, you haven't been listening to Smodcast because nobody's offering to put their, their their sponsorships on Smodcast anymore. No, really? Yeah. I want. Yeah, to. as of I only listened to it a little bit today, but he was saying that like they didn't have any ads today because nobody was selling them. Uh, I think it's I I think that he had sort of a shallow pool of people who were willing to pay two hundred dollars, and he burned through them so quickly that like not that many people are going to pay two hundred dollars every week to keep right. advertising their small town thing. Well, it needs to. I guess change the amount of times your ad appears. Maybe that would increase Maybe. the value. Yeah, or do yeah. Because what? Well, like, he's also going to get like real ads soon. Like they're not always going to be just fan driven. Well, that, that's what I'm ads. talking about. I want Coke. Coke has lots of money. I don't want Coke. Coke isn't as good. Brett, please don't send Ryan cocaine. That's not what he means. No, James, you can't say that. What if Coke's like, oh, I can't wait. I'm going to listen to all their episodes, and then I have you on here saying how Coke sucks. Uh, all right, you're right. Um, Coke is great. Real nerds brought to you by Coke Zero this week. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to use a product. Uh, anyways, uh, welcome. Speaking of ads, uh, at, at the certain point, we're going to have to put 
one of our own self-generated ads. So just watch yeah. my hand signal. Okay. You got it. Um, Maybe after news. Take right. a break after news. Sounds good. Uh, so we'll start with news. Um, actually, it's kind of a slow week in news. I was like digging for information to find. And uh, the first one I came up with uh, is The Rock is joining G.I. Joe 2 yes. as Roadblock. Oh, you picked this because I'm here. Because uh, you are here. Yeah. And I'm a huge fan of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah. When he puts The Rock in the middle part, then you know he's going to be in a good movie. Um, did, you, did you see F- Fast Five? I did. Oh, man, right? Yeah, he was Dude, actually... That, ag- that that fight scene, that is what fight scenes need to be. Exactly. And it was a cool movie because it had like a heist in it. And, you know, I, I didn't... And there was a scene where they were like, let's get some fingerprints off this lady's booty. And you were like, that... <laughs> For some reason, that was that was never believable. I no, but I actually put, wrote down um, why it's a good move for GI Joe too, because the first GI Joe I think grows something like 137 million. Yeah, it did all right. And I put down um, two movies that The Rock has joined in after they became established franchises, and one is uh, the first one he did was The Mummy, where he was the Scorpion King. In it. And the first Mummy did pretty well. Returns. Yeah, the first Mummy did pretty well. And I got uh, the Mummy Returns on here, and that grossed $202 million with The Rock. Ironically, The Rock joined uh, the Fast and Furious franchise as it was actually the fifth one, but that one is at $203 million. So if you're going on his bankability as far as coming in and bringing his fans with him, he brings a lot of money to uh, said movies. And I thought it was really interesting. It's always a good uh, move to make uh, the rock part of your game plan. <laughs> yeah, he did. He just went there. Damn, that was good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the G- the first G.I. Joe movie, uh, I'm looking it up now, it it made about twice as much money as it, as it cost. It made like $300 million, uh, which is good, but I can't imagine that that movie really got enough goodwill that when they make a sequel, that many people are going to show up. But the yeah. rock is probably... A, a, a good bet as far as like throw him in there and he'll get those people who really will see any movie with The Rock you Me. know but you know too and it's not Stephen Summers so it's gonna be it's <laughs> own new thing yeah but you know I was I was looking though too uh, Fast and the Furious 3 which was Tokyo Drift and Fast and Furious which was god awful um, they actually didn't make as much money. I mean, actually, the fourth one made more money than Tokyo Drift, but this one blew up, and I think it had a lot to do. Well, I mean, the movie was way better. Yeah, but that's, it that's helps that you have, you know, um, people in there where you know. I, to me personally, I didn't care if The Rock fought Vin Diesel, but to to me, seeing The Rock kick his ass was awesome. Yeah, and uh, of course, they had him win in the movie Vin Diesel, which was not believable. They at all. came to co- they stopped <laughs> fighting. I would say there was something of a stalemate. They were like, we have both bulked up. We are both bigger than we've ever been in our careers. We can stop fighting. Okay, I'll give you that. Plus, they're, they're getting old. They, it's hurting their bones. Uh, yeah, I guess The Rock's like 37, 38, something like That's that. All, he can't play football anymore. No, he can't. He, couldn't, he, can't, he doesn't be able to He played to football at some point, right? He did. He was part of the Miami Hurricanes 1990 National Champions. Wait, really? I was joking. No, seriously. And oh. he had to stop playing because he injured his back, and that's why he went into wrestling. Where he probably injured his back a whole lot more. Exactly, but now he's a international movie star and awesome. He is. He is pretty awesome. Um, Warren you know, Moon played football too, like into his forties. Yeah, Warren Moon though was a, a shifty black quarterback, so he was harder to hit. That's racist. Wow. He really was. He was also the last episode of Real Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like he uh, he was really good at eluding hits uh, where the rock was on so the line. Were, it was sh- he was shifty, comma. 
Not hyphen black. Yeah, exactly. He's a shifty, comma, black quarterback. You brought up Warren Moon because he was black. No, I saw saw him racist The Rock is Samoan. Half black, half Samoan. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, that's why he's so handsome. He is. He is. He's a gorgeous man. All right. Uh, This episode of Real Nerds is brought to you by The Rock. Just bring it. That would be cool. Um, My second bit of news is uh, on June 20th, 1980. I mean, June 12th, 1980. Is that today? Your uh, most favorite movie was released, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, It's the 30th anniversary of Raiders. And, you know, I I brought it up because we went and saw a Spielbergian movie. uh, And I thought it was really interesting just seeing... uh, that it was the 30th anniversary. And if you go on Slash Film, you can watch Tom Selleck I, uh, screen test as Indiana Jones. I saw that. It was kind of embarrassing. It and was. Sean really Young as, uh, as Raven... Uh, Raven Marion Ravenwood. Yep. Uh, well, this is probably a good time to bring up then the thing I really want to talk about, which is uh, this week in an interview... I was talking to my mom yesterday about going to see the Super 8 movie. And she said... I said something about Spielberg producing it. And she said, well, is that is that a good thing? And I said, well, why? She said, well, I mean, do we really trust him that much anymore? You know, he's doing all this stuff where he's going back and messing with his old movies and everything. And I, I freaked out for a second because I was like, I have to tell you about this. So this week in an interview, Spielberg was talking about the fact that they're releasing a Blu-ray of, jo- of Jaws later this year. And what he said was oh, that yeah, there yeah. won't be any digitally altering of the movie. And then he said that none of his movies in the future are going to di- be digitally altered when they go onto DVD. And he talked about... He talked all the things that people online have been talking about for years about how uh, the sort of... You know, like, yes, if you put a movie like, uh, he said, 1941, if you put that on to Blu-ray, the high definition will allow you to literally see the strings. Like, the in the in the scene where the plane lands on, on, on the highway, I, I think it's at the end. I don't know. I don't really remember that movie because it's not very good. But... <laughs> Uh, in that scene, you would be able to see those strings. And he said, the truth is, it's a good timestamp, it's a good piece of history, and that's a valued part of the movie that should be preserved. And that part blew my mind. But then he went a step further, and then he said, he he expressed remorse about having changed E.T., and then he said that on one of the versions of the DVDs now, they have both versions of the movie. I've and, got that one. Do you? Yeah. That's uh, He said now he tells people to only watch the 82 version because he regrets going back and changing it. And it was like, Good we, we finally, we finally, it's, it's like a changing of the guard. You know, all of a sudden, the guy who's really at the head of, of movies, especially through the 90s, has figured out what we've been trying to say. The only way it could have been better is if he had come out and said, also, I'm making an Indiana Jones movie and I'm not even talking to George about it. We're just going <laughs> to make it and it's going to be good this time. It was pretty exciting. No, really yeah, exciting. you know, I, I, that was a good piece of news, and I read that, and it was, it was really cool because, I mean, a movie like Jaws, you don't need to add anything to uh, it because, no. I mean, the, the point of the movie is, you know, building up the suspense of the shark. It's not... Well, I would any, even argue that, like, yeah, sure, you can go in there and you could maybe touch up the shark and make it a little less, you know, like robotic. a giant robot. Yeah. But that movie is hardly even about the shark. Like, it's oh, about it's not those guys all. and how close they get and... The, the great memorable scenes of that movie. Yes, there's the lines like "We're going to need a bigger boat," but nothing... which was improvised, by the way. Really? Yeah, I watched. Actually, it's funny, brother. I watched a show on biography about the making of Jaws, and that was improvised right there. And uh, they were trying to find a hook for the the movie, and that was one of them. And the other one was they talked to the guys of the USS Indianapolis, mm. and that 
originally, I guess, uh, Robert Shaw, his original, like, monologue was, like, 20 pages. Oh, and, it should be. And he talked, and uh, him and Steven Spielberg sat down, and they said, well, maybe we should shorten it, because I don't know if we can keep people's interest long enough in it. And, uh, I mean... You know, what can you say about it's, that? Yeah, scene? it's hard to say. It could be that if they'd made it longer, it would take been, the impact. It would have been bad. Yeah, I mean, because that scene, uh, it's, it's hard to even talk about it because it's so good. That yeah, yeah. But I agree. Uh, the the real, the most emotional scene about that movie to me is the dinner scene. Oh, that's a great I, scene. I think I posted it last last year for Father's Day, where they're sitting at dinner and you know he's stressed out about this whole like shark thing that's going on and then suddenly you notice that his son is doing all of the movements and everything and it's just it's a it's a really touching scene and it's really the moment i would think that if you could go back and watch that movie for the first time when it came out you would probably say like this steven spielberg guy is gonna be something like i and i will even say i've had that moment uh with other directors recently um yeah uh anyway they were going to fire him off that movie because uh, yeah. it was really over budget, really over uh, days shooting, and they were going to fire him. But I, I don't remember who fought for him to stay on the movie. I want to. It was somebody in, at Universal, but well, uh, yeah. obviously they made the right decision. And it's nothing like he came on and made the movie. Nothing like the book. And oh, the book's terrible. Have you ever read the book? No, I don't. Want, I don't want to. I guess terrible is not the right word. Um, my biggest problem with the book is they make the character of uh, Hooper has an affair with Brody's wife and it's just and it's seriously a chapter long about them having sex and the shark dies in the book he drowns the shark drowns <laughs> after it eats Hooper because even in the movie originally they're going to have him die uh, oh yeah and in the book he dies because I was reading an interview with Peter Benchley and he said it's because the shark was getting him back for cheating uh, uh, having an affair with Brody's wife but the shark doesn't care. Exactly. That's why the shark is scary. Exactly. Because it just eats things. Anyway. Or you, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, that Jaws is amazing, and I, I will probably get that Blu-ray, because sometimes I just sit down and I go, I need to watch Jaws. I agree. Uh, but, my, um, so I was going to say, uh, Spielberg may have said no more digital edits in his movies, but he didn't say no more analog edits. So it doesn't mean he can't go back to the old film reels and start digitizing yeah, certain things but, and oh, I see splicing frames. Uh, I would be I'm, okay. Like if he if he did some of the Ridley Scott t- cut type of director's cut stuff, I'd be okay with that. I think the the biggest thing here is that him saying this. No more cell phones instead of guns. Well, that that as well the as like Sorry. there is a period of time. Every time a new Star Wars comes out, there's a period of time where you can't get good Star Wars. You know, I don't believe. Sure, Spielberg may make a director's cut of Jaws or something where he adds that the that Hooper has a, a sex with whoever. He might do that. Maybe he shot something like that that he wants to put in the movie. He thinks it'll make it great. Sure, you will probably be able to go out and buy that DVD, but this Spielberg, the Spielberg you hear in this interview, will also put the original version unedited, untouched on that DVD, and that's what's important. The important thing, like, when E.T. came out on DVD, there wasn't a good way to see that movie. Even, like, now, I have I have the uh, DVD of, of Star Wars, Fucking Return of the Jedi has uh, what's his name the the annoying kid on it. I don't. I want to watch real Return of the Jedi without the annoying kid. I don't want Lucas to keep going in and changing which you, characters are in which. You scenes. get the DVD with the old version on it. Uh, no, I think uh, no. When it it's came out, good. there wasn't a DVD that had the old version on the it. The single disc edition. 
Yeah. The yeah. limited edition one? I don't think so. I have it. Well, I, I'm just saying. I, I'm yeah, no, sure I have the version out. you have. I, it's in the box. I don't correct. actually own E.T. because it scares me. So, But <laughs> yeah. my folks have it, and so I've never watched it. But I know, I remember when it came out that it was only the, because they did that digital re-release in theaters and then the DVD came out and it was the digital re-release with like E.T. playing in the bath or whatever stuff they added. They released like five or three different, I got the ultimate gift set and the two-sided Yeah, so probably that one comes with the real one. There you go. That's a shame. Oh yeah. Yeah, You should go to Second Spin, they probably, someone probably traded it in. Probably. That's like I, I said, I don't want set. a copy of E.T. because it scares me. Right. Like, it really, it's still frightening me. Uh, yeah, I have one more little bit of news. It's a, it's a little more fun. Um, I read this headline the other day on IGN. Anne Hathaway hurts a stuntman on The Dark Knight Rises. Ooh. She hit him so hard with the butt of a gun that it gave him a black eye. And according to reports, she gave him a pen that was engraved. Remember, no one packs a punch like Anne. Heh. <laughs> A pen or a pin? Pen. Oh, a pen. A pen. Like to write with. Yes. Yeah, oh. yeah that probably makes more sense because nobody really, like, uh, I don't wear pins. Yeah, she went to, like, a metal smelter <laughs> and, like, I just design. Yeah. <laughs> Can you uh, fit all this on a pin? That's crazy. Yeah, so she's Why a... would, um... Oh, shoot, I'm trying to think of a non-violent Batman character. I really can't. I was going to make a joke <laughs> like, quilt. why would so-and-so ever be hitting anybody? As if I didn't know she was Catwoman. <laughs> uh. So yeah, that was a little funny piece of news I read, and nice. I thought I'd share it. Yeah, that's cool. And I guess that's he was exciting. okay. He just had a a huge black eye. I think if Anne Hathaway punches you, you're gonna be okay with it. Well, she didn't punch him. I, I wish she punched well you done. with her boobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would no, be she awesome. hit that. Yeah, the scary thing is that she hit him with a gun. Right. I, I think she was probably not supposed to actually hit him with the gun. <laughs> you're supposed Ooh. to when that happens. You're supposed to like fake hurt like feel pain like oh man I, i'm you gotta carry me back to the the med van <laughs> <laughs> that's me doing a motorboat tour <laughs> oh gosh you know i like her though she she's she likes to get naked in movies and she's attractive so i like that about her <laughs> uh i would wanna uh i do remember one thing from this week that uh i i thought was pretty interesting that i hate i just generally hate well, I guess it's it's sort of two pieces of news. Uh, the first thing is that, um, oh shoot, what's the name of the guy who just directed The Fighter? Um, David, David o. Russell. Russell. David o. Russell dropped out of Uncharted. Yes. Which that makes me so happy. <laughs> because his his idea of what an Uncharted movie is, not only is not a good Uncharted movie. and is It sounds like a offensive. terrible movie in general. It doesn't sound like a good movie. Uh, but weirder than that is that Marky Mark is talking about how there's going to be a Fighter 2 and they talked about this back when the movie came out, but I kind of feel like if you made a like a a biography movie, you shouldn't ever be able to make a sequel. Like yeah. unless that person then lives for another twenty years after you made your movie and then did something else important, then there's really there should like you should make a really good tight movie the first time, you know, especially when it's a movie about the guy who has to make a comeback. I don't want to see a movie about the well, guy who makes yeah, a comeback and defeats heroin, and then like he keeps defeating heroin and keeps having made a comeback. That doesn't sound like an. Not that I, I, I hated the fighter anyway, but even if I had liked it, I don't know that that is a movie that ever needs a sequel. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see it. So I'm... yeah, I just I it'd don't... be like making a sequel to Ray only. <laughs> only say Ray. Yeah, no, because Ray <laughs> in the movie Ray, Ray had not died when they made that movie, so. 
He's not dead. Right. But yeah, it would be like making a sequel to Ray. Because at the end of the fighter, they even show... Um, they oh. show the guy, the real guys who are the two characters, and they show them in the present where they're sort of older, like, hey, here we are. And it's sort of a, hey, you know, you you see the end of the movie, and they kind of make it, you know, they improve their situation, and then you see the real guys, and you think, cool, and then they had good lives. Well, I don't want to see a movie about the guys who then had good lives. How old is the guy in The Fighter now? Um, Mid-50s, probably? Know. Yeah, he's somewhere in his 50s, I think. Hmm, maybe he'll die soon, and then they won't have any more material. <laughs> yeah, that's what the... Yeah, <laughs> they're mind. actually... Actually, that's maybe that's the thing. Maybe he actually went into, like, the CIA, and he fought terrorists. And so then the fighter, too, is... Like, the fighter, he's fighting terrorism. That's what it's about. It's like Gandhi, too, from, U, from the UHF movie. Maybe they were hoping for a Ray, too, and, you know, Ray Charles died, and they're like, oh, shoot. <laughs> this franchise oh, is over. Oh, dang. <laughs> oh, that's really too bad. That's funny. Cool. Any other news we want to talk about? Did uh, you read anything movie-wise, Brad, that tickled your fancy? Not movie-wise. Comic news, but I guess I'll discuss that after the podcast. No, dude, talk about it. Talk okay. about it. We're, we're nerds, it's, dude. It's superhero comics, so, yeah. and they Do make it. movies of that. So, um, relaunching all the DC lines. What the what the F? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I, I've been saying... Like, My biggest beef is Detective Comics and Batman, and I guess Superman, too. Like, uh, you're that close to a thousand issues. Like, you're on the cusp of... Like, it's going to take another 60 years for another comic to reach a thousand issues. It, I would have liked well, to see a it, thousand. It won't. They've, they've done this kind of thing before. Well, yeah, they did to Spider-Man, too. What they do is they relaunch it, and then it, it's like 1 through 37. And then also, when it's about to get issue 500 in Amazing Spider-Man, it goes back to the old numbers. Yeah. I know they've done it before, but they're just... They're so close. To, like, they're coming up on the, nine hundred. They're so close to a thousand. Just like yeah, release the thousandth issue and then reset it. This <laughs> is this really stinks of that like de- their desperation. Mm-hmm. They they need to do something. You know, Warner Brothers owns them now, and they they need to do something. The comics are in dire straits right now. Oh, I I, they, I mean, it's surprising because you think like, well, every every big movie in the summer is a comic book movie, right? Like, why aren't people reading comics? Well, they're just not, uh, and especially people aren't reading DC comics. Uh, which is really just sort of a uh, a waxing and waning thing. Like sometimes DC is doing really well, and sometimes Marvel is doing really well. Mm. And probably you know this may work. And a year from now, DC might be doing really well, and they're selling their books really well. And suddenly, at issue eight of Wonder Woman, it goes back to issue five hundred and whatever. Um, but it, the real problem is that they're not actually doing anything. Like yes, they're they're renumbering everything, and they're putting writers and artists on these books that haven't been on the books recently but they're not going out and getting like Neil Gaiman or Brian K. Vaughan or really heavy hitters to come on and just write whatever they want. They're basically taking the same guys that they have had writing for DC for the past couple years and shuffling them around and saying like, these guys have a good idea we'll put them on there and we'll start over again it's not really doing anything it's basically just a, 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 a stunt yeah, I, I agree financially, it. like it's a good move, but it's just like, what a shame. But it's yeah, always it's my problem now. With, it's not going to affect anything. Like, it's always like, my like problem Ryan's with saying. DC Comics. Like, uh, it, they're so convoluted. And I mean, I allude to this uh, like on Infinite Crisis, a huge crossover where they pulled, there's so many su- versions of Superman that I have no idea what's going on. And I mean, I guess you'd have to read every issue of Spider uh, Spider-Man, Superman to fully understand it. I guess. But like, it's... You know, you're reading. Uh, I was talking to you about this because we talked about this a little bit. Like on Infinite Crisis, you have these two guys fighting, and, and then they switch 
on the same page as somebody else and you're supposed to understand why it's a big deal. And yeah. I, I think that's the biggest problem with DC and I think that's why people um, like the Marvel movies more because it's easier for you to relate to someone like a Steve Rogers than it is uh, a Hal Jordan where, I mean, I have a ring where I can think whatever I want and I can use it to fight a big cloud monster. You know, I, I think that's where people uh, tend to like Marvel more. I, yeah, I've said for a long time that Marvel... The, the difference to me is that DC has better villains and Marvel has better heroes. Like, the, the truth is, when you take Spider-Man's villains and you look at them all in a row, they're not really that interesting. Like, they can, they can shape them and make them into something interesting. And for comic book fans who are approaching it with that comic book mindset, you can say, like, oh, this is really fun. Like, I really like this character. Oh, this guy's really a bad guy. He's really threatening to this character. But the truth is you don't read Spider-Man for the villains. You read Spider-Man because you love Peter Parker. You read Spider-Man because he feels like you, but he's special. Nobody relates with Superman. Nobody relates with Wonder Woman. Nobody relates with Aquaman. Like, these, these characters are just sort of... Like yes, they're superheroes yeah, and they have superpowers, but they don't really have the the Peter Parker's personal life is what makes him a good character. These other guys don't. Batman is different, you know, but also Batman is sometimes Batman is really interesting and sometimes he's just Batman and he's like right now in in DC Comics there's two Batman because they killed Batman and somebody else became Batman, and then Batman came back, and so now you there's have to know... There's a Batman the, corporation now, I guess. There is, there's a corporation <laughs> of Batman, you know? That's not interesting. What's interesting is when Batman gets hurt or old or, you know, when he's a person, when he has to deal with something as Bruce Wayne, that's when Batman gets interesting. I agree. And, you know, except I would say that the Green Goblin is the greatest villain in comic history, but... Well, but, but, but you, no, you no, say no, I mean, that as a part, you know, looking at it but, as a chunk of, of his, his canon, I would say that something like like the Joker as a tornado of chaos is a really smart and and threatening villain. No, I agree. You know, I, I gave you uh, Craven's Last Hunt as a graduation gift, yeah. and Craven was a joke before that... Uh, for oh, yeah. because well, I, mean, I mean he's running around in like a oh. leotard and like half a half a lion over his shoulders and you're going what you know did you read the intro by uh by the I writer yet. i figured i should read the book yeah. and then read the intro. yeah the intro is really awesome because sometimes those intros like some of the intros to preach to the preacher trades were sort of not spoilery but yeah that one is a little spoiler yeah i'd read the yeah the issue first Anyway. But yeah, anyways, uh, that's it for news. Comic I, I wanted to say, just like, as Go a ahead. completist, you know, I might be ending my hold slot at Coins Cards. Really? Because I don't, I don't want to start over and start collecting. I, I've already got a ton of issues in my storage unit that are just taking up space that I'll probably never look at again, and I don't want to have to start over. You know, I, I'll probably get just well, you're the not, first issues. You're literally not starting up. Like, whatever the last know, issue is, if it's, but if like it's issue the 901, number. the next issue was 902. It just says 1 on it. Right. It doesn't actually mean anything. Well, we know, but I mean, like, they've, people they've, in the future aren't going to... They're just going to see, like, the oh, pe- they... S- the people in the future are not reading your issues of comics. The people in the future have, like, They're actually the reading comics. digital ones. You, sure, or implanted yeah. in their head or whatever. I'm just... Yeah. But it just to me, and they've like, and they've literally done this before, and they've rebooted like they've rebooted the entire they, DC like universe. Flash like three and Wonder times. Woman got, yeah, the yeah, most yeah. recent ones I remember. But like Crisis on Infinite Earths in the early '90s is actually the beginning of the canon you're reading now. Like that was, as I understand it, that is a reboot that sticks. Mm-hmm. So what you're reading now, as far as Superman is concerned, is not the <laughs> Superman from way back when. Not that I don't even I don't even know why anyone would care because it's still Superman. His only power is that he can pull superhero superpowers out of his butt. 
Um, <laughs> and actually, the only reason like I'm not even reading them because they're so uninteresting, I'm just collecting oh, them because well, they're there you go. just to fill out the lines. So yeah. it's just like well, well, we, the lines. There is no kind of over. So there is yeah. number wise filling out the lines as you go back. Like if you're missing issue 36 of of Ultimate Spider-Man, that's filling out the lines. You don't fill out the lines by continuing to read books that you don't actually enjoy. Huh. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway. I don't know. It's it's definitely seems stupid to me. Yeah. So uh, anybody watch any cool DVDs this week? Yes. What did you watch this week? All right. So I wish I had watched the second one as well, but this is also my way of talking about the movie I missed last week a little. Uh, just the other night, I rewatched X Men One. Me too. Because uh, especially after last week, and then I was listening to people. Talk, I was listening to other podcasts talk about X Men. Did you listen to ours? Uh, no. Week. <laughs> <laughs> so lame. Sorry. Well, I wasn't even on iTunes until today or yesterday. Okay. You can still well, get um, it from. I, I put the feed on the Facebook that's page. That's a lot of work. Oh. Also, the computer e- does it for you. Now, E3, E3 has been going this week, so I've, like, every day I've been listening to four hours of video game podcasts. No, that's mm. Understandable. Yeah. Yeah. It's an understandable waste of my time. Um, so. I rewatched him because somebody, one of the guys on iFanboy talked about how he really enjoyed this new X-Men because he never really felt like the, like he enjoys the first two X-Men movies. We don't talk about the third one. He enjoys the first two, <laughs> but they never really felt like his X-Men. And I was like, okay, I can go back and, I, you know, I got to go back and rewatch those movies and see how I feel. And I know what he's talking about now. Um, it, it's interesting to me because the truth is that X-Men 1 is really the movie that started the modern superhero craze. Um because that movie comes out the year before Spider-Man 1. Uh, and then, of course, to ha- come back around X-Men, uh, whatever this new one was called, X-Men First Class, uh, was really interesting, but they are drastically different movies, mostly in tone. Like, this new one really is embracing being a comic book and having all of these characters and everything. The first one is really closer to a thriller, like or, or just like an action movie. Um, still really good. I haven't watched the second one again yet, but I need to. Um, uh, I should say, really enjoyed X-Men First Class. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask you, how'd you feel about that? Me and Brad got, you should listen to our po- podcast. We got in a huge fight. Oh, yeah? During, uh, I, <laughs> during it. Uh, Alright, I'm a sucker for this. We disagreed. But, uh, <laughs> we didn't come to blows. I'm a sucker for JFK when he comes on the screen again at the end and does his little spiel about we will fight many battles like this in the future, I almost cried. But, uh, that has that's really completely just me. Like JFK does that to me, but which is a weird thing to like for you. Yeah, you don't even know him. I know. <laughs> well, I'm a really big fan of the Apollo program. Like, uh, if if you've ever seen a miniseries HBO did called From the Earth to the Moon, I want to. That, uh, I own it. You can borrow it. It's fantastic. Um, he his his speech from Rice College is at the beginning, and I've always found that so inspiring. So anytime that JFK talks, it's it's I don't know. But I, I did really enjoy it. It lulls in the middle. I, I don't care about any of the other characters, but Magneto and Xavier, mm-hmm. and the last 40 minutes are great, except for some really campy shots of people flying. Um, uh, it's, it's good. I look forward to watching it again on DVD. So do, uh, now that it's been out for uh, almost a week now, how great was the Wolverine cameo oh, in it? It was seriously the best cameo I've seen in a movie. The best use of the one time you can say the F word ever. Oh, right? yeah. We'll talk about this in a minute. Well, we probably won't. But Super 8 has one of those 
moments where they use the F word the one time they can. Yeah, yeah. And it's pretty good, but it's not no. as good as the one from X Men. This is Eric Lichner. Like, go yeah, fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so it was really awesome. good. Yeah. It was really good. Uh, me and Brad skirted around that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you weren't around, and I mean, I, that's what I watched this week, too. I watched the X Men movies. And uh, me and Brad got in a huge. Um, disagreement God, i wish you'd listen to it yeah i'd like to know your opinion of what we said yeah so maybe i'll, I'll summarize it if i miss anything just let me know I'm pretty sure you're going to uh <laughs> <laughs> so my uh interpretation of it is i actually enjoyed of the new movie of the new movie x-men first class i enjoyed how it resolved the um, professor x and magneto storyline yeah and you brad mean, um you mean how it just in the movie not in relation to the other one like yeah in the, the way the way that the way that he they gets shot it, at the end. Yeah, the way they set it up. Yeah. Um, and Brad thought they should, instead of blowing their load in one movie, that they should have drawn out the relationship between um, Professor X and Magneto, where it was like a, a bubbling, boiling pot of water and eventually spilled over. And I thought... Like, this is just the second step. Yeah, exactly. Here's the thing. I can see what you're saying, and I... I might like that sounds cool like a trilogy where at the beginning they're friends but each movie something happens and they move apart you but you can't do that uh the problem is that it sounds Dick. cool that's not me oh it's me <laughs> but I don't know what this is it's somebody I don't know talking to me on Facebook uh no it's somebody I don't know talking to Brad on Facebook and yet it shows up on my iPod anyway uh, the the problem is that the movie has to stand on its own. That the storyline that they start off with those two guys being friends has to go somewhere. So, yes, at the end of the movie, you, they could have not had him get shot and then had it keep going, and that might have been interesting. Maybe him losing his legs at the end of the movie is a step too far. But as far as them breaking apart at the end of the movie, I think that has to happen, especially because there have to be consequences for what Magneto does. Like, Magneto killing him... Oh, man, that scene is so good. Magneto killing him with the coin at the end of that movie Sweet. Has, is great. Uh, but it has to do something to their relationship. Otherwise, otherwise it's just a, a good guy killing a bad guy. It has to be a divisive moment where you realize he's making a decision that Xavier doesn't want him to make, and those two guys have to not be friends anymore. Which, that is that is what that whole movie is building to and is the emotional crux of, of, of what they're doing. So if you, if you don't pay that off in that way, uh, the movie just sort of, I, I think would flop. And if it, if that movie doesn't do well enough to get a sequel, it doesn't matter if you're building something really cool that in the next movie, the two of them are still going to be friends, but they're fighting. You have to make this movie good so you can make another one. Right. I thought it was good anyway, but like, even without that, but um, damn it, I had I got too wrapped up in what you were saying, <laughs> and I totally <laughs> well, lost what well, I was going to say. I'll get them fired up again. The re- my <laughs> argument with it was, is I said, well, you also uh, run into a problem with the Star Wars prequels, where you're dragging out yeah. him becoming oh, Darth yeah. Vader, and all you want him to be is Darth Vader, yeah, absolutely. and you don't need, you already know th- that Magneto's a bad guy, you don't need to drag it out in another movie, and I actually thought it was really fitting, because even in... Um, they're basically the same guy, but it's what they do with it's how the, they see the world. It's how they see the world. Um, Xavier thinks he can, you can coexist. Magneto thinks he's a superior and his experiences with um, being in a concentration camp 
built him that it, way. It makes him lose all of his faith in humanity. Exactly. Where which which also re- reflects on himself. Like he, yes, he's a mutant, and yes, it builds on this whole like homo superior thing where he's trying to separate himself from humanity. But the truth is, especially when he's younger and doesn't know he has magical powers, uh, I I would expect if I were writing the character, this is how I would read it: that uh, his being really angry is a reflection of the fact that he thinks he is the same. Like, he sees himself reflected in these people who have done this to him. Um, yeah. And I just want to make it clear that I did like the movie. No, 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 no. But I, I'm just, I, I think I'm agreeing with Ryan that, yeah, if if you did uh, well, uh, stretch that out, it would... Two, I think that's it, it tells to why Charles started the school is because if you really think about it, yeah, he's his first failure as teaching them to what to do because he unlocked the balance in uh, in Eric, the controlling his emotions, you know, unlocking that memory that there's a balance between being evil and good and somewhere in the middle is where you have to meet. And that's his serenity. And I might say that I think it might be a failing of the movie that it that it lets you think that those guys could ever actually be friends. Uh, I, I think what the beginning of the movie is trying to get across, especially like in the scene with the knife and the Nazis, where he's really violently attacking these guys in the bar, is the one scene I'm talking about. Uh, I think that he's they're trying to make the point that, yes, when Xavier meets this guy, he thinks, you know, this guy's really angry and I can fix him. But I think that's that's a failing of... That's the actual failing of Xavier, that he thinks that he can make Magneto a good guy again, where the truth is Magneto is always this violent, vengeful character, and it's not until the end that Xavier actually realizes, like, I can't do anything about this guy. I'm just Um, saying, like, I've been led to believe that Magneto and Xavier, from the other movies and the comics, is like, they spend a lot of time, like, forming a really tight bond over a long period of time, and this movie doesn't show me that. It seems like they were together for, like, two weeks, maybe a month. And, you know... In my experience, our relationship isn't that strong. I think that's in, in that in terms of history like that. I think that's a symptom of the movie spending too much time on the the lackluster characters like Banshee and things like that yeah. instead of concentrating on that relationship. Yeah, I think though too. I mean, if they even show in the later X Men movies, I'm not. A, I don't read the comics that often, but I, I mean, I, but I want to. Know. I, I think. Uh, they even though they disagree on certain things, I think they don't. I think they still respect each other and i think you see that even in the movies when they before they even like fight and stuff you know they still try to work it out and they always have that clash and i think that's where their bond is built even though that happened in in the first movie you know they're still gonna see each other and they're still gonna try to i don't know yeah i'm i'm, I'm not being too eloquent i actually here. uh watched part of x-men last stand on television this week too <sighs> oh man that's the other thing is that watching that movie watching for the first one again and watching uh, the new one makes me so... Like, I used to be sort of an apologist for X-Men 3. Like, yeah, I didn't think it was a very good movie, and yeah, it killed the franchise, but whatever. Like, it's not it's not the worst. I, I hate it now. Mostly because it means that... Especially because X-Men First Class keeps that canon going. You know, it's very much tied to those Steven... Uh, um, Brian Singer. Brian Singer movies, which means that like right now they can't go and make a a modern good X-Men movie. They re- and and have it tied to those other ones because I mean it blows my mind thinking about the fact that Cyclops who, you know, the, the biggest failings of those first three movies is that 
they focus on Wolverine, who's not really the leader of the X-Men. Cyclops is the leader of the X-Men. Like, he's supposed to be an important character, and they kill him off-screen in the third one. That's atrocious. Like, that's unforgivable. I, I, it, it's You know, we talked uh, about that last week, too. You know, I mean, I, I don't think it's, like, a terrible movie, but I think that's its biggest thing, is you take a character that's an original X-Men, yeah. and just like, oh, the camera pans away, and... And it's, watching... and it's just because they want to, without any real reason they want to shoehorn in a a really bad telling of the phoenix story i mean the way to make that movie is to take phoenix completely out of it and just have it be the x-men fight against the cure for x-men no i take that back the way to make that movie is to hire joss whedon to make his x-men movie that's the way to make that movie period there's no other there is no other way to make that movie because you probably haven't read his run on on Uncanny X-Men, or on Astonishing X-Men. I read 1 through 12, I think. Oh, well, then you have. When I first read Astonishing X-Men, the first thing I thought was, picking up from where X-2 leaves off, they could have made that movie right then. Like, there are some other things, you know, they'd have to introduce Emma Frost or whatever, who, by the way, is terrible in first class. Um, But other than that... She has big boobs. How come her clothes change into diamonds? Uh, because she has superpowers, and that's how it works in superpower movies. I mean, Fantastic Four, though they have special clothes, and then the Hulk has stretchy pants. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> <It's> being sarcastic. <laughs> uh, ex- yeah, you were just hoping that she her clothes good, would come off when she was. I was. I was just hoping that the digital artist could just, uh, you know, uh, computer generate under. Her existing clothes. Under- I think they have that technology to separate <laughs> those two parts of the. Oh, to, turn, uh, to, turn, to have her be. I don't. I'm pretty sure it would be too funny to have like a diamond woman in underwear. Though <laughs> no, I guess her regular clothes. Like in the books, I, I, I guess in the books when she's wearing her her. I don't want to call them clothes because her her outfit is lingerie. Um, when she turns into ice, yeah, I think her clothes stay clothes. So you're probably right. But anyway, uh, shoehorn is good. Like watching what on TV. I felt like the whole time they were just walking over everything that that franchise was. Yeah. Like, just when, in the first um, fake battle sequence, th- they're just having Wolverine spout, like, supposedly witty lines, and then it cuts, <laughs> and then, like, the next scene is, um, you know, Cyclops getting killed, and Phoenix just, she's magically okay, no explanation as to why, just, um, you know, she wasn't eradicated by the huge flood, and then Mystique... Uh, like getting rid of her by having the like, uh, the cure getting fired into her and Magneto thanks to first class like he has this really strong relationship with her but now you watch X-Men The Last Stand and he's just like oh that's a shame she's one of them now and walks away <laughs> leaves her naked in, well, in and, the car- and, Xavier, and wasn't Juggernaut Xavier's brother uh I yeah I think that's a thing but and I they don't blow think that he, off I don't think anybody I don't think it needs to be in there uh, I mean, it's you know, like it's Green like, versus Braun. Yeah, but it's it's one of those. Oh, and then it's one of those X, weird. Professor X is killed. Yeah, <laughs> so. and then comes back in the credits. That whole movie just feels like let's just p- fucking piss on everything about. Yeah. Oh yeah, it really does. Yeah, and it used to not make me mad. Partially, I think, because I was such a Brian, a Brett Ratner uh, apologist, because right. I really feel like Brett Ratner gets a bad rap. But like the rest of our movies are really good. good. Yeah. I, I I've always said that Brett Ratner doesn't actually do anything to a movie. Like he just comes and he makes the movie, and he doesn't add anything to it the real problem i'm looking up just to make sure that Brett ratner didn't write it no he didn't the real problem is that movie is written really really poorly and all of the things that happen in it that they think are going to be cool are not um 
Anyway, sorry, I've dragged this X-Men conversation out way too long. No, it's okay. Um, We're going to get a word from our sponsor, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the movie we saw tonight, which is Super 8. Um, We'll be back. So did you go see that movie yet? Yeah, it was great. You really ought to see it. What's that, man? I don't know. Dude, it's a dead body. You want to poke it with a stick? (laughs) (laughs) What's it feel like? It's all squishy, dude. You want to try it? He's got something in his hand. What is that? Dude, two Snickers. Not going anywhere for a while? Grab a Snickers. Hungry? Why wait? And welcome back. I hope you enjoyed whatever sponsor we had this week. <laughs> Just say that sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> that sponsor. Um, so what? yeah, the movie we went and saw today, uh, just a few hours ago, was Super 8. I've got nothing against your friends. I like your friends. Now things have obviously changed for us. I have to help Charles finish his movie. Be good for you to spend some time with kids who don't run around with cameras and monster makeup. Uh, could you close your eyes, please? Yeah. And action! freighter derailed what the cargo was on that freighter we don't know we can't tell anyone i know i understand you have concerns about our cargo colonel there isn't anything else that i should know is there i can assure you the answer is no we've gotten calls from people who found local dogs but the calls coming in aren't local it's like they all just ran away i've got property damage i've got theft I've got nine people missing now. There are things happening around here that I can't explain. We have to find this thing. I don't feel good about this. Go! I saw it. No one believes me. I believe you. What the hell? Uh, I've actually been really looking forward to this movie. When did the first trailer debut? It was last year... It was the train trailer. It yeah. was last summer sometime. Summer, I for- yeah. I forget what movie it debuted before, but as soon as I saw it, it looked really cool, and it had a... To to take a, a teaser like that and get me excited for a movie is very rare. And I swore up and when that teaser came out, I swore up and down that 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 the footage from that movie was not going to be in the movie. Some of which it's not. No, I didn't even think that the train was going to be in the movie because he's sort of J.J. Um, uh, J. Abrams has has made a reputation for himself now where he uh, he creates this whole mystery around his movies before he actually releases them. Mm-hmm. So it actually ends up 
sort of backlashing on him, I think, especially in the reviews for this movie, where the reviews haven't been that good because everybody is expecting, like, the second coming, but it's really just a really good movie, you know? Oh, yeah, no, I I, I mean, I, I know what you're referring to in the reviews is I read, uh, who did I read? Maybe it was a New York Times review of it, and they said uh, the big thing is, you know, the reveal of the alien. I mean, everybody knows it's an alien, and so, I mean, the reveal of it, and the guy in on the New York Times said, well, you know, even I think his biggest problem with selling it is even though you never see the shark in Jaws until the very end, you know it's a shark. In uh, Super 8, mm. you're not familiar with what is really going on. But I think they actually, I mean, I think everybody knows it's an alien, though, so I kind of yeah. disagree with how he interpreted the movie. Um, yeah, I and mean, that's, that's a weird way to talk about it because... Like yes, you understand how a sh- how a shark works, <laughs> but that's I mean in ET you understand how an alien works sort of, and and the alien in this movie does less than the alien in, in ET. Like ET's got crazy magic finger powers or whatever. loves Reese's pieces. He loves Reese's pieces. <laughs> he launched Reese's pieces as a popular candy, you know. <laughs> uh, whereas this is just you know he's an alien. This, he's subterranean. I guess that's special. But other than that, he's you know, there's nothing to understand about him. No, so I mean, and I've w- seen the same thing. He's homesick. He just wants to go home. Yeah, so it's the same movie. It is. You know, I you know, well, I guess we should talk about what it's about. You know, it actually starts off with just a bunch of kids making a Super Eight movie, and the the opening of the movie is actually I thought really kind of powerful. Where that the opening shot of the movie is yeah, powerful. That you know the the little boy loses his mother, and it's and they don't they they don't say it for a long time. No, like I'm sure they're at the funeral. Uh, I guess I guess the the first dialogue in the movie they are saying it. Never mind, yeah. but they don't talk about what really happened in a way. There's not. They it doesn't feel reveal like there's it. exposition. Like it's just yeah. so lines well come out. They're just like yeah. Can't believe she got crushed by that. Yeah, you game know, I think I thought or... that was really natural too. I think kids would really be interested and be like, well, what would she look like? You know, because she was yeah. crushed and I I know how I want to say this. By the time that they tell you his mom was killed, you already know. Right. Yes. By the time they say it, you already know because you already know, uh, you you that that opening shot, which is great, and then the next shot is him sitting in a suit on the swings, and you you just know you know immediately what's going on. Actually, and by that point, I was like, okay, it's either the mom or the dad. Not sure. Yeah. And then I they guess. reveal the dad, and it's like, okay, well. But doesn't he have the, he has the locket in that scene? Like he's holding the locket. Yeah. I think. I don't think your dad has a locket. <laughs> I thought it was a pocket watch. Oh, okay. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but still, like, they've they've communicated so much in two shots. Mm-hmm. You know what I love, too, is the, the opening of that, the opening shot, and then they're at the funeral, and then you really don't get J.J. Um, Abrams' lens flares until it starts turning into the uh, monster movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, well, it's, and the it's lens really... flares are, are different. Yeah, they're, no, they're not the same as the other. As, as no, Star but Trek. but I mean that, that's a really cool little. Uh, I actually enjoy the lens flares because it, it really gives it a J.J. Abrams feel to the movie. Yeah, and I thought it was really Which... cool how he he did not show him until it actually became because at the beginning of the movie is about losing a mother. Yeah, and the pain and and how a child would react to it. Yeah, he knows he knows when to use them. They first show up when when you go to the it was the train um, station correct yeah, the train station yeah. And it's actually, I think people are actually seeing, because there's, there's the, the flares at the top, and then there's the tracks at the bottom, which are reflecting the light, which makes them look like flares, because I heard people complaining about the flares. I think people are thinking some things in the movies that are not flares are flares. Yeah, possibly. You know, I, I always thought it was really cool. I, 
he's been doing it in everything. And yeah, so he says he says that he likes it because he he like he talks about it the way that James Cameron talks about 3D, where he makes it he feels like it makes the the movie pop out of the screen. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, again, you know, I've been really impressed lately with um, child actors in movies that, mm. because I mean, you are the weight of a an emotional movie and emotional scenes are depending on the actors and actresses that are children and able to carry it and hold it. Like I love Charlie in that movie. I don't know. I don't know which actors are better in this movie. The kids who are able to be really good actors. And then when they're on film, be bad actors (laughs) or the little girl who is a really good actress. And then when she's on film can be a really good actress. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm not sure which of those I find more impressive. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's just because there, there's an art, and I I go back to the Hot Shots movies. There's an art to being a bad actor but making it good. You know, the Hot Shot movies. You have actors like Carrie Elwes and Charlie Sheen mm-hmm. reading the most ridiculous lines, but as straight face and as actors as they could, and that makes the the lines funny. In this movie, where you're at the train scene and they're having this really emotional scene, and he wants it to look busy, so he sends in the other kid to be an actor, and he's like talking in the can like the phone but it looks so unnatural but and to be able to pull that off i think as oh, an actor yeah. is is really funny and the the, the whole movie is full of yeah, I, earlier i talked about the scene in jaws at dinner the whole movie is full of those scenes full of scenes that are completely resting on the shoulders of these child actors who pull them up the scene where he's fighting with his dad in the living room but i think the scene that really moved me the most is actually or, or the scene that impressed me for them being actors the most was the scene where she's had her makeup done like a zombie and they're like, she's pretending to be a zombie and you're like, Oh, look, he's being creepy. And then you're like, Oh, he really wants her to kiss him. And she almost does. And you're like, Oh wow, this is, they're so good. You know, I I really enjoyed this movie because it did take me back to um, Spielberg eighties movies where there's uh, the government's the bad guy. Um, There's family issues, but at the heart, it's a story about children growing up and children uh, having adventures and it, it, I mean, uh, I obviously it's a, it's a way better movie than The Goonies, but, uh, but you know, it has the same feel to it. You know what I mean? Like it's these kids are sucked into a world where they don't belong, and yeah. how they react to it, I think. Uh, oh no, I, I I think I agree with you. It's just that that was a that was a broad statement, and I had to take a second with it. Um, no, no, yeah, I think I, you're right. It's probably a better movie than The Goonies. No, but I, it's the same. It's the same. Uh, the same feeling that you get where you're only you're only caring about these kids and following their story and, and seeing the world the way that they do uh, and seeing that sort of the adults are running around and trying to get things done but they're not really concerned about these kids and so they're able to sort of slip through the cracks and have their own little adventure yeah I, I felt I actually missed the kids like when they were off camera totally uh, you know I, I mean Kyle Chandler as the dad's great in it but I mean yeah. you, I, I miss uh, I miss the kids because they're so good and you're just drawn to them. Oh yeah, and, and uh, honestly, I missed the like the the side character kids, like the friends, when they weren't around because mm-hmm. they were, uh, they were sort of the, not only were they the the comic relief, but they were sort of the part that grounded the movie. You know, they were sort of the yeah. regular kids, and that's why too it reminded me of the Goonies, is because each kid kind of had their own little thing. Oh totally. You know, the pyro kid, the 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 actor kid who's. A nerd, but he throws up all the time. You know, they each have their little uh, <laughs> bits to it. And Brad yeah. must have really enjoyed the movie because he hasn't said anything in ten minutes. Oh no! Um, no I was just listening to what you guys were saying. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
I should say maybe the know? most maybe the most emotional scene for me, uh, but it's cheating because it's the most emotional scene in the movie. The scene where they're watching the footage of his mom oh, dude. on Super Eight. That is an amazing which, scene. Yeah, it's a it's a good scene just for the characters, but it's also the scene I th- feel like where. J.J. Abrams is suddenly taking a step back. You know, the, the movie's called Super 8. It's about these kids who are f- making films. Uh, and I feel like that's the scene where he goes... Where, where suddenly, instead of them filming like their own stories that they're making up, you're you're seeing that they were also filming their lives when they when his mother was, was alive. And you suddenly get this idea of, this is why we tell stories. Like, the reason why these kids are all going out and making movies is because they're mimicking the things that they see in their real life and they 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 really want to be adults and have those lives and have those same feelings it, it's 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 moving not just because of what the two kids are saying i think so too and i think it's an escape for all the children in the movie because you know uh joe the main character he can't connect with his father because his father lost his mom and they were never close so he gets away from his dad and his dad's depression of the mom being dead the the director he gets away from his crazy family that's always loud and fighting and obnoxious Mm -hmm. and then the girl uh she gets away from her father who's an alcoholic and abusive verbally and i think they escape to that world and that's the fantasy world they live in where you know i i i really movies are escapism yes (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah yeah no i want to i was i've been trying to formulate what i what i want to say because you know i have trouble with that but like I, I really enjoyed the movie too for two things because I'm a big Spielberg fan, and this movie is isn't Spielberg. ripping it off. It's more of an homage to it. Oh, I agree to his films, and and, and not even just to what ET. Some people say, huh? Not even just ET. Not even just ET, and even like um a whole lot of Jurassic Park. Dra- yeah, 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 Jurassic, Jurassic Park. I mean, there's specifically um, a scene where there, there's a shot encounters. at the end of a bus that's exactly like a shot from The Lost World, uh, where you're anyway. Um, and then. Even some like non Spielberg stuff, I, I wish I could remember because there's something that really glaringly stood out uh, to um, me. It was George Romero. <laughs> yeah, uh, the zombie movies that, that they named uh, the Romero Chemical Plant is. The <laughs> yeah, there's some Carpenter stuff in there. Yeah, too. there is. Uh, yeah. I mean, the first poster that you you notice in his room is the Halloween poster. Yeah, yeah and then uh, they had Star Wars. And, yeah, they had Day of the Dead. Um, but also like, and I I, I love the Spielberg, Spielberg homage, and then like the feel of it, and also just i i was so jealous that those kids could like that because that's what i want to do is mm-hmm. go out like every week and make little movies um you know we, like I, it it sucks that i don't get to do that enough and yeah know, they get to so i'm watching them i'm on screen and yeah i'm too old now to be a kid and do that and i really wish that back then i had access to a camera because yeah like i mean i regret like all this cool stuff that with all the fun ideas i had back then the creativity yeah that that time is never gonna yeah come to fruition you know think about how kids can do it now i mean i've got an ipod on the couch right here with me i could go out there and film yeah but just whatever i want yeah Yeah, i can just run around and film stuff and it's only going to look as good as as super 8 did in 1980 whatever I agree, um, and you know, you too, you lose that, uh, as you get older, you lose that charm where, you know, they're making a movie, and you know it's not good, but it's still kind of cute mm-hmm. when they're making it because... Like, the soul is there. Yeah, like, the soul's they there. In it. They believe in it. And, you know, you're right. And, I mean, it's a tribute to, you know, the filmmakers of that whole movie. You know, it's... To be invested in children is really hard, and I, I think to 
I don't know. That movie was just awesome. I, I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was cool to... I don't know. I, I don't know how else to describe like how I felt when I watching the movie yeah. because it's so much more than just an alien movie. You know, oh, it's yeah. it's about <laughs> being a kid and well, and it's about his whole his whole story of letting go. Yeah. I, I have to correct myself that the movie I keep saying the movie takes place in the eighties. It's nineteen seventy nine because they said Three Mile Island in the background at one point. Yeah, that's uh, hmm. you know it's it's just cool. You know, actually, my favorite line in the whole movie is when he goes down to save the girl and he says, I'm trying to save you the best I can. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I love that line. Oh, they're just that. sitting there. It's going to come back. Though you also, at that point, you knew because of how the alien communicates, you know that he has to have his run in and and emote with the alien. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, he it was. It was a, just a cool scene. And, uh, yeah, I know. I, I really enjoyed the movie because, you know, you miss... I, I like how this summer shaping up because uh, last year was such a downer, but there's so mm-hmm. many movies this year I've already enjoyed. And it seems like Hollywood kind of learned its lesson last year where, you know, you can make these big movies. Maybe. and yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, Continue. I, no, I like, I mean, I really enjoyed uh super eight. I thought X-Men first class was really good. Yeah. Bridesmaids was good. You know, I can, I, and yeah. that's Thor. Thor was good. Thor was really good. Uh, Hangover. The Hangover. I think, yeah, right. I think, and part of it is that some t- some summers you get a lot of really good action movies, but this summer has been, they're not just good action movies. There's some heart there. There's something they're doing a little bit more yeah. than, uh, you know, Thor especially to me was a surprise. That oh, I was able, that they were able to make that. W- what sounds ho- like a horrible idea into a really great movie. I think this is the first movie for me for the summer that I feel is close to greatness. Yeah, so oh, I, yeah. I I'm not saying that Thor is great. Super I'm just eight, saying what, yeah. twenty years from now, I will still I will still be watching Super Eight. Yeah, this uh, one. Um, this was. I don't think it's hit me yet. I think by the end of the week, I will end up loving it, like oh, revisiting yeah. it in my head. So, oh yeah, I mean those moments. Uh, the the first twenty minutes, like after the there's a title break where it says like four months later. The first twenty minutes after that is mostly just them running around doing the doing the movie thing. Um, like the scene where they're sitting on the side of the hill singing. They don't know all of the words to My Sharona, but they're still sort of singing it. Scenes like that, and the mostly the way that it's shot, the way it's obviously he actually filmed it on film instead of doing it digitally, which would have changed the way that the movie looks. And 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 he's he, whoever he has doing his lighting knows the history of lighting or something because those scenes look like they were shot by the people making movies in the 80s uh, or apparently 1976 but those scenes were so good that I was distracted because I was sitting there thinking this this looks like the dark shots in ET like this looks like these scenes in the in the in the in the house look like those kind of grimy shots from inside the house in ET and that was so good that it was actually distracting um, You're thinking too much about the process, and not oh, I totally. <laughs> I mean, I I can't help it. Yeah, especially with a movie like this, where I know the story behind it and how much I can see how much heart uh, and and history the movie has. You you can't help but sit there and think like these are people who love movies uh, and have a history of it. And I mean, it's so directly like J.J. Abrams, and because Spielberg is involved, it's J.J. Abrams making a love letter letter to Spielberg. Mm. Uh, I don't know. 
No, I, you know, I've, I've said this uh, a couple years ago, and I'll say it again. J.J. Abrams, to me, is the go-to guy in Hollywood if I want to be in, entertained. Oh, yeah. Uh, over the last few years, because he has a way of... Even Mission Impossible 3, for some reason, didn't catch on, but I, I thought it was a great movie, too. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you go on to Star Trek, and you see his TV shows, Alias, Lost. And, I mean, this guy knows how to entertain people, more so than a lot of people nowadays. And... It's just cool, and he—I think he's a way better storyteller and a way better um, artist than James Cameron will ever be. And then, uh, I mean, that might say—I mean, okay, dude, Cameron has a lot of money. He does. Don't and, alienate him. And I, I appreciate his Terminator, but you know, uh, then, but you know, you see stuff like uh, Avatar, and it's so shallow, and I mean, it looks yeah. great. Cameron is a a good director, but a horrible writer. He is. Whereas, it, whereas JJ, I mean, Super Great is also written by JJ Abrams. It's the he is the whole package here. Whereas Cameron, when Cameron tries to write, the movie maybe has two years before it sounds dated. Mm-hmm. At most, I can't even watch Aliens anymore. It's too bad. You know, that's one of the highest rated movies in Rotten Tomatoes. It's Aliens. I would believe it, but only if people rated it based on how they remember it. If you go back and watch that movie now, oh, it's, I, yeah, it's, I have. You, it's... I, you can only watch it with the mute on. It no, it's, yeah, I agree. And it's it's it, to me it's amazing that someone like that's so well regarded and J.J. Abrams kind of still flies under the radar. I mean, to us, we're, we're well, we know him very well because we like his movies. But to the average movie going people, I think that he well maybe now he's starting to get yeah, a little more. Yeah, I think on. he's he's starting to like. I think this is probably the first movie where normal people are saying, "Oh, it's that new J.J. Abrams thing," because after after Lost and how big that was and. Um, Star Trek, especially because Star Trek is the movie that, like, J.J. Abrams is the guy who made regular people go see a Star Trek movie. Like me, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think people know who he is, this and is not his, just like my parents. This is for his first feature, not based on a pre-existing franchise, right? Oh man, it is. Yeah, it is. Oh, you just gave me chills. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I Although hope... I guess because of the homage factor, I guess he's kind of no, playing off not... of. Well, that's, I mean, Other there you're, every writer is playing off of something else. That's true. You know. Uh, but there's a, there's a way to make them good and there's a way to make them bad. You know, you can, I mean, in less capable hands, that movie might not have turned out as well. Well, not even like writing wise, like just um, the feel of the film, like it emulates the feel you get like watching those old Spielberg films. So it's kind of borrowing, um, or not, because that sounds like he's ripping off, uh, he's, you know, crafting that feel i guess i agree i have to take this back um because i'm forgetting that uh he wrote regarding henry but didn't direct it um which i still haven't seen but uh <laughs> technically that should be seen as a jj how old is he now because that was like in his 40s early yeah 90s. he's in his 40s um, unfortunately he's he is not forever. he is not a young spielbergian uh like i actually um so he's, he was like what in his He's, Kevin Smith was he's like 45 23 right now. when he did Clerks, and that was yeah. That's yeah, what 91, and Clerks was 94. Yeah, but he has, yeah, like Ryan says, he's been around for a while. I mean, yeah. Felicity was wow. really his first. He's yeah. really flown under the radar. Success. Yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. Like he, but he's always put out really good stuff. Yeah, he's one of those guys who just constantly puts out good stuff and kind of. I mean, now that he's getting traction and making the movies he wants to make is awesome. Yeah. I mean, he's still a young guy, but you know, oh yeah, comparatively. So, I mean, when did Mission Impossible 3 come out? 2005? 6. 6? Mm-hmm. 
Well, do you know what his next project is? I don't know what his next project is. So uh, I guess Star Trek well, too. Star Trek, yeah. Oh, yeah, that is right. It is Star Trek, too. Because he just jumped on. And or he has enough... 12. He's he's a big enough name now that when he jumps on Star Trek, he can say, we have to push this back six months. Because they were going to start shooting real soon. They didn't have a director, and the script isn't done. But they were going to start shooting soon, and he came on and was like, nope, we need to take some time and get this right. Which I... Even if he hadn't, I still had a lot of confidence in that movie, having, having Dave, Damon Lindelof on there... Makes yep. me trust that movie. How does Hollywood not understand by now that you need to spend as much time as you can on the script before you put out the movie? Yeah, it's because people uh, they're so well. You know, I obviously they get it, it for this one, but sometimes they get it right. Sometimes yeah. they start with. Those, I mean, the Bourne movies didn't have scripts. Oh no, yeah, the actually, Bourne movies would like they would be filming and still not have. Scripts. Th- that's one of my favorite stories. Actually, is from the Bourne Ultimatum. Is they had not a single page of script written. And the only thing that they filmed was that rooftop chase. Mm-hmm. It was hit Matt Damon chasing down that guy and beating him up. Which is the most memorable scene in that movie. Yeah, which like is That's crazy. the fight scene that ends with him beating a guy to death with a book. <laughs> you know? And no script. Which you don't need for that some movie like that where there's just some stuff. And that movie, if you look at it from the storytelling perspective, has some really interesting stuff in it. You know, that movie takes place before the last ten minutes of the second movie, which... A writer who you throw him a movie and say like, okay, we need a script and we're already filming. <laughs> I I wouldn't expect him to think of, oh, all right, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in in the last ten minutes of the last movie and write a whole script. You you don't expect that. Sometimes it's crazy how you that happens. Uh, Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream, wrote Scream in three days, hmm. and it was forty pages longer than the and that's shot a, movie. That's a like an like that's not Halloween where Halloween is just crazy guy kills some people like scream is a really intelligent i mean i don't really love it but i see it as a really intelligent commentary on horror movies uh yeah if you had said that about something like uh i don't know any of any normal horror movie i would believe you even some of the the bigger budget ones like you know the orphanage or something like that i would still believe you that they wrote that script in three days but (laughs) not scream yeah no it's I, i think sometimes people are just really inspired yeah. Um, but you know, but you can also tell movies that if you slow down, let the process work itself out. I think you get a better movie. Yeah, and it shows in that movie. That movie was awesome. Yeah, because it shows a lot of um, uh, uh, tightening. You know, exactly. A lot of times when you, you know, you can spend plenty of time on a script and have plenty of scenes, but this movie does a really Super Eight does a really good job of only having the num- the scenes that it needs and doing those scenes really well. Like, they could have had more scenes between the dad and uh, the girl's dad and built that up more. They didn't need to. They had, like, two real short scenes at the beginning and then one scene that wraps it up and I think does a good job wrapping it up. I've seen some people say that they think that it it, it, it in the car. does it all too fast. Yeah, the scene in the car at the end. That's what I was thinking. Um, That's probably my least favorite scene. It's just, like, it just seems like when you get from A to B, so here's this scene. I, I really enjoyed it because I feel like the two of them uh, be in wrapped up in everything that's going on, they don't need to say a lot. Like they've learned their lessons separately. And when they get back together, they are like, they're, they're telling each other very, very quietly and calmly, you know, like when he says it was an accident, he's saying so much with only one thing to me. Mm. Um, and because the truth is like Ryan was saying, I don't care about them. I mean, I care. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say I don't care. I do care. 
I just want to get back to the kids most of the time. Yeah, I thought they like it's a movie, so you could. I think they could actually pull it off visually. Like they didn't have to have any dialogue. But oh, to yeah, oh yeah, yeah. If they were just sitting in the car and like they both looked f- scared for their kids, uh, and maybe there was like a little, a little, you know, physical nod or anything like that, mm-hmm. then they could have done that. I actually thought they set that up in the scene before the dad was arrested by the military is, you know, his son was pouring his heart out to him and he was crying mm. and the dad didn't want to confront it then. But as he was leaving, he looked back and he had a look on him. They did. Yeah. That like he, he understood where his son was coming from right there. And I thought I, that was a really cool little scene. And that's why I think he was able to forgive the, the man who was supposed to work where his wife died. And then he realized there's more important things to be than to be mad at this guy. You know, it's the son. And that's one of those weird moments for me. Uh, as as a writer, I I watch that scene and I think because the way that the dialogue in that scene ends is he says something like, you know, everybody in this town had one person to rely on, and that guy is gone. So now they ha- they just have me. And I think, okay, the next line is the kid says, "Well, who do I have?" You know, mm-hmm. and he doesn't say anything. And if I don't it's one of those moments where I don't know if it's better that he doesn't say anything because I yeah. think we all know like, I wish I could remember because there was a line circulating in my head that I was wishing the kid was saying and he was I can't remember what it was yeah and sometimes there are those scenes where you you, you realize you are the audience you know I, I sit there and I I fiddle with the movie and fiddle with the story and think about how I would write it but the truth is I'm still the audience so when they give me lines like that in my head and I think why doesn't he say who am I supposed to rely on (laughs) I realize I'm the audience sitting here thinking who is this kid supposed to rely on he doesn't need to say it you've told me to feel that way you know yeah and that's you know I go back to the Star Wars one in episode 3 my least favorite line in that is from my point of view the Jedi were wrong you do not need to be told that you know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> oh, not something you need to be told. It's and that's a movie where it's not dumbed down and where sometimes I think movies where they add that line, you're like this just makes you seem like yeah, well duh, you know? And I don't think they need that. And I I I under I understand cuz you know you kept on expecting him to say something, but I thought yeah. the the visual uh performance of the actors was much more compelling than any dialogue that could have been written at that at that moment. It's funny that you bring that up because I suddenly realized that one of the movies, I forget that I, I forgot that I had thought of this movie while we were watching it, but the movie reminds me a little bit of American Graffiti. Um, most, mostly because it's, you know, us sort of following these guys and, but also because the way that it's written, it is a lot of those quiet moments. Um, and <laughs> it's funny that you said that because it reminds me that at, at one point George Lucas knew how to write <laughs> and knew how to write movies where, characters don't have to say what they feel <laughs> and certainly when they do say what they feel they say it in a better way than he writes them now but uh, <laughs> still so I do want to bring up uh, I was just looking at pictures of the original Cloverfield monster and I'm disappointed to find out that it's not actually the same creature spoilers for people who haven't seen the movie but we spoiled everything so far uh, when the movie was done I was like holy shit it's the Cloverfield monster and he's building like a cannon, <laughs> you know, where in a few years this monster's gonna have a name and it's gonna be in big action movies and we're gonna, like it's really gonna be something cool, like because he he in the movie it's not really important what the creature is, but when you see it, it looks like the Cloverfield monster, but it's not. It's slightly different. Yeah, yeah but it's 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 similar. It definitely doesn't it's look got, like ET. It, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's it's very it's 
Yeah, it looks a lot like Cloverfield Monster, and I was actually thinking that too as the movie's like yeah, going on. Yeah, like, he, he's got these, extra legs. Are these all separate movies that are going to build up to like one movie about this race of aliens? I kept on waiting for a Dharma Initiative like logo to fly <laughs> up and hit the uh, water tower. Oh, I'm sure that there's there are references like that in there. He's actually he's really good about that kind of thing. Yeah. Where like there's some kind of candy um, like icicle pop that's in the movie that you could you could buy at Seven Elevens in LA. Like he does a lot of that kind of stuff where huh. he puts food in his movies and then lets you actually buy them, like Slusho. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure that there were that there were lost references in there somewhere. I was I, hoping. I just was too engrossed in the movie to catch them. Yeah, me too. That's. I mean, I I'd only notice if it's really obvious. Yeah, but he never. And you would wouldn't do want that. him. To he, no, he would never do something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, he um, years ago before. Mission Impossible Three came out. I heard people compare him to be. They they. I heard people talk about J.J. Abrams as the new Steven Spielberg, and this is the first moment. I've I've talked about this before. I'm sure I talked about this after Star Trek as well. I bet I actually think I've talked about this on our end of the year movie reviews. Um, this is the on first Netcast, movie. which you can also download from <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> yeah, this is the first movie where that is blatantly clear how cool would an indiana jones movie be if he wrote it and spielberg directed it oh. Oh. you know what i mean because he knows how to write oh. science fiction and didn't lucas write raiders though with him so it's george not lucas like... yeah. yeah oh oh yeah yeah george lucas is, 30 years ago he was george lucas is the writer lucas for wrote... the first three or for the first two indiana jones movies and i actually think the script for last crusade is better and that was written with george lucas and some other dude yeah, yeah. Another so. guy had the first script for that, and then George did like a pass on it, and and has writing credits because it's his character. Um, yeah, the the I would love to live in a world where George Lucas could write a good Indiana Jones movie, <laughs> but that's not going to happen. Oh, I was going to say, um, I remember a time when a uh, Time magazine had M Night Shyamalan on the cover, and it said, "Is this the next Spielberg?" Oh fuck! So. I'm glad J.J. Yeah. Well, Abrams took over that mantle. Yeah, I would disagree. I am a huge fan of Shyamalan up until the last three movies he made. Um, so I guess the second half of his career. Is that Unbreakable? Is that where you no, is that cut off? No, that's, you're forgetting his <laughs> movies. That's how bad the last three movies have been. That's uh, Lady in the Water, The Happening, and The Last Airbender. I hate those movies. Yeah, I didn't see um, the last two. Yeah, well, I yeah, uh, they're really horrible. Uh, and they just get worse. Uh, but even when he was really good, I would never have compared him to that. I mean, no. the truth is, he was trying He's to be Hitchcock. Hitchcock. Yeah, I was just going to say, and... like, he was trying to be Hitchcock. He yeah. was trying to, but I don't think he was as talented as filmmaker as Hitchcock. I mean, no. there, there's shots in uh, one of my favorite Hitchcock shots ever is in Psycho, is when uh, the investigator's walking up the stairs and he gets stabbed by Norman mm-hmm. and he falls back, but the camera stays on his face as he's falling down the stairs. I've never seen a shot like that. Hitchcock is definitely a better filmmaker. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I think that Shyamalan, in his heyday, when he was making good movies, was a better storyteller. Uh, if you go back and watch movies, especially the the, the non-major Hitchcock movies, oh, even movies like North by Northwest, not real tight scripts. Like, no, not I agree. really good stories but in the movies for me but as a director yeah i mean his movies are visually just amazing. <laughs> six Sense and unbreakable i love those movies after that i could give two shits about them i love the village See, i don't and like the, the village at all those all right and the signs everyone thinks it's so scary i think it's ridiculous well i i said before i'm afraid of et so i think it's scary but not that it should be 
what that movie is just a really a really good movie. The family in that movie is great. Anyway, this is off topic. Yeah. And so the movie, this this Super Eight is a better a, a a better alien movie. Absolutely sure. It's an awesome movie. So oh, yeah. I say you should go see it right now. If you're listening to this podcast and you have not seen the movie, do you think people, because um, we're film nerds, do you think people who like, do you think general audiences will be accepting of this film? I think they will, oh, yeah. I, because I think I'm it, a little skeptical. I think I, I think it go either way. I think you're right. Um, I'm sorry, you can finish. I want to interrupt you. I was gonna say, like, I I think people who, um, I'm worried that only people who like Spielberg movies and like can see that in this will enjoy it. I think a general audience will be like, but it's not a like a you know, they're if they're looking for the monster or looking for you know cool, um, you know, lots of explosions. Obviously, there are quite a few in this movie, but like the modern action movie, I worry that those two kinds of audiences are gonna cause this film to like get a bad reputation. Yeah, but, you know, actually, how you're safe. Sorry, to interrupt you. No, uh, I'm gonna step still a point from you. Um, it's fine. It's what, your show. But, yeah, exactly. It's my show. Uh, the, the we didn't talk about the lady in the theater. That we yeah. saw it at, who was totally invested into this movie. Man, it was so nice not to have people yeah, distracting exactly. us from the movie. Yeah, exactly, distracting from the movie. But th- I think that's why it might do well, is because, to me, that to hearing how she sounded, sounded like someone like my mom, mm-hmm. if she watched the movie, where the girl's crying and you hear her go, oh. And not yeah. in an annoying way, it, it, by any oh. stretch. I love when people are invested into the movie. Yeah. Remember when that used to happen? When like the Absolutely. whole theater was together? Yeah. Oh man! Yeah. You mean that one time I saw Pulp Fiction at the Esquire? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah. I, I I have two points against you. <laughs> I don't want to say it like that. Um, uh, first of all, you said I, don't, I I'm I'm afraid that only people who like Spielberg movies will see that will like this. And I mean Spielberg is like the biggest director maybe ever. So I mean, people a lot who of are... people like like Spielberg movies, right? I I mean people who like study his yeah. films, yeah. But I would actually say, yeah, a lot of, yeah. Uh, for for one thing, I think that regular audiences will probably enjoy it even more than I did because they won't be analyzing everything and thinking about how it's Spielberg the whole time. Hopefully, yeah. Um, but also, I feel like there is sort of a... There aren't enough people making movies the way that Spielberg did 15, 20 years ago. I I think there's sort of a void where, that, where he was, where a movie like this can come in and suddenly I mean Super 8 is why I like movies you know it's a good story and some good action and terrifying moments it's it's the kind of roller coasters that roller coaster that Jaws was that started summer movies to begin with and I don't think I really see that that often you know you see a lot of uh, superhero movies that yeah they've got a romantic interest and, and a plot where you're supposed to care about these characters and they work well enough but as far as being movies like The Goonies or E.T. that are really, that really define childhood for people, I don't think there are those movies anymore. Right. This is um, like the first movie in a while that I feel like has that cinema magic to it. Yeah. Like that intangible, like that makes like going to the movies fun. Yeah. It's the, it feels like what, what some people were, uh, not proselytizing, uh, it, the people who said that, that about Avatar, who were wrong, um, but were trying to say that like James Cameron is going to save cinema because he's really making big action movies again. No, Michael Bay is making big action movies. Like Michael Bay is the guy who's making Judgment uh, Terminator Two, Judgment Day. You know, that's the evolution of that. The evolution of Jaws is Super Eight. 
Well, I, I'm just saying, I, I hope I'm wrong because yeah. I, oh, I yeah. love audiences to go see. I'm just, I'm. There's that skeptic part of me. It's like, yeah. is that audience still out there? I yeah. hope they are. Oh, I'm yeah, sure. I agree. Um, I, I mean, the, the question to me is more whether or not the advertising for the movie convinces people to go. Yeah, because also, which like, I think it will. Up until I saw it, like I still wasn't sure like what this movie is going to be. Yeah, it's because he relies more on. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you should go see his TED talk, uh, because he talks about the mystery box, which is sort of where he gets how he writes his movies and how he pitches or how he sells his movies to people from um because he wants to keep everything a mystery so that I wish more, more of a, did that actually. Uh, yeah. yeah, because I didn't know a lot of what was going to happen in this movie. Like the nor- even the normal trailers were just there wasn't a lot of dialogue. There was just some noise and some scenes and you're like, "Well, that looks cool." And then a name attached to it that made you want to see it. Um and you should you should see his TED talk cuz he talks about why he does that and um uh, yeah it could be that people don't go because they're they don't really know what it is but i think especially after this this first week when people are really talking about it it's going to be one of those movies that people go back to that people who didn't see it the first week hear oh man it's really good and they got to go see it um which is probably a good thing you know if you've been listening to kevin smith talk a lot you hear him talk about how stupid it is that we make these movies and then bank everything on the opening weekend. Mm. Maybe this movie doesn't make a billion dollars opening weekend, but Hopefully I think like ET over the next few weeks for forty weeks straight, it just <laughs> slowly makes it a could. small amount of money. But it could, yeah. Um, or you know, yeah, even if it only made uh, my big fat Greek wedding money, it would still in two months be way over how much it cost. Uh, I, I think it's going to do really well. And I, I'll I'll be here in two years for Super Nine. That's for sure. <laughs> right on. Well, um, yeah, that's about it. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Ryan. Oh, and I'm James. Uh, two more things. Oh, oh fuck! Sh- Sorry. I- <laughs> Never mind. Fifty million dollars only cost fifty million dollars to make Super Eight. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's the other thing. JJ makes cheap stuff. Except for the inexpensive lost. stuff, yeah, not cheap. Yeah, stuff. That's, yeah. <laughs> except for the lost pilot. Except for the lost pilot. <laughs> Go ahead. What were you gonna say? Did anyone see source code? No. Uh, no. Okay, never mind. Um. <laughs> oh, but we did. We never talked about Hesher. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. Bonus. <laughs> uh, I did. Bonus I movie. did go. To, I did go to see Hesher uh, last Saturday. What's Hesher about? Uh, at the Mayan, Hesher is exactly like Super Eight, only instead of an alien, um, there's Joseph Gordon-Levitt's playing. A metal, uh, heavy metal fan who really likes ironic tattoos. Same movie. Huh. So uh, <laughs> the story is uh, this kid, his mom dies. Uh, spoilers, but it's the first like two no, seconds. I, I heard that on a yeah. podcast. Yeah, his mom dies, and I don't want to spoil how he meets Hesher because it's one of the best introductions of a character I've seen in a long time. Like it's just suddenly this character is there. But basically, this guy that they don't know starts living in their house, and he's like, he's really into heavy metal, and uh, he sort of drags, oh, excuse me, he sort of drags this whole family out of their uh, their depression and their their funk, and great things happen. It's really good. Yeah, it and sounds if you're, very similar. If you're near a th- if you're near a theater that is showing it, which the mine is. You, you you should go see it. Yeah, I, I want at the end it. of the year it will probably come back up again for me. Um, yeah, I was really interested in seeing it, and then I listened to a certain podcast that kind of turned me off to it based on what they said. Yeah, I've heard of it. hasn't been I getting very go good reviews. 
Oh, I was surprised. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't want to get everybody's hopes up like it's gonna be huge because oh, yeah, okay. I had heard not great things, and I think it. There might be times when it lags a little, but, um, and it, the the hardest part for the movie for me was that I saw it on a hot day in the in the Mayan, <laughs> which means like you're just sweating balls and it's just horrible. The AC um, is not good there. No, it's not. It's not. Totally oh good no, there. it's I not. I guess my bony frail. Oh brain. yeah. No, it has always been um, chilly. So by the end of the movie, I was sort of sitting there like, "Oh man, I want this movie to end," <laughs> but not because what was happening on screen wasn't good. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, it's it's a good movie, you know. Not not quite away we go as far as mm-hmm. uh, um, independent films, but still really good. Right on. And the other thing I had for Ryan was um, you have the opportunity to go to po- to possibly go to San Diego Comic Con oh, by right. proving that you are the, the- Ultimate Spider-Man fan. No, not the Ultimate Spider-Man fan. The fan of the fans, the, was it? The uh, the best fan to represent um, the fans um, for the new Spider-Man movie. Yeah, Dude. and you have to make a 60-second so, video. Go ahead, sir. Real quick, tell me why you deserve that honor. Because I am the Ultimate Spider-Man fan. I have Spider-Man tattooed on me. I have Gwen Stacy tattooed All on me. All over the place, yeah. I have Green Goblin tattooed on me. But what are you going to do no. to take the fans through the, the I keep wanting to say E3, but the Comic-Con experience? How are you going to bring the new movie to the fans? Because that's going to be your job. Did you read the rules? <laughs> I did not. I, I, said, I know you had to make You're a just 60s. like, I get to be the biggest fan and people get to love me. And then no, gonna, you have no, a job SCC to do, Ryan. No, I, just get to I, I told you my idea. As I was going to take you through, I was going to make like a Super 8 version of Spider-Man. And, uh, no, but you have to, the, you have also have to sell like why you can do the job at Comic-Con. You can't just be like walking around absorbing. You have to present what you absorb back to the fans. So that means you have to like, you probably have well, to tweet you... stuff. You have to probably have to oh. update a website blog. Um, obviously you'll have to record video and put that online. I thought they just judged it on a 60 second video. They do judge you, but they judge you like you have, you're applying for a job. Like you, you can't just apply for it. It's, you're not applying for like, you're not miss becoming miss America. You're applying, you know, to be an actual worker. Well, I think that Miss America would disagree <laughs> with that statement, but Miss America, they're parading around. They're just taking a title for their image. Well, yeah, but then Miss. Well, I don't know. I don't know why I'm defending Miss America. <laughs> I think it's a fucking. It's the best analogy I can think of right now. It, so like, not only do you have it's to like hurling cattle, embody anyway. the spirit of the biggest, like the biggest Spider-Man fan, but you also have to work at it. So I need to know from you is how you're going to work as the biggest Spider-Man fan at Comic-Con. I don't, I, you don't, I don't know. know. I don't know how that works. Yeah, I don't know how that, I would, I don't know how that works. The, the thing is that while, sure, you know a lot about Spider-Man and, you know, you read everything Spider-Man and have Spider-Man tattooed on you and, uh, like, there's Spider-Man everywhere. That is all true. But I think the biggest part of it is that you actually love spider-man sort of at the core of what spider-man is and stands for it is true right you've got the knowledge and the love of it now you have to figure out how you're going to express that to from comic-con back to the fans he's gonna text me and then i'm gonna tweet the things that he says (laughs) yes i'll be like he says that spider-man that 
No, I, David Webb knows all kinds of shit about Spider-Man, <laughs> and he is making a good movie. No, I think, uh, I mean, how I, I think I, I mean, if you want me to represent the fans, uh, to me, uh, Spider-Man is not Spider-Man. To me, Spider-Man's Peter Parker. It's the everybody. And that's why you can, you know, when this movie is first being talked about, uh, you asked me if I would care if Spider-Man is portrayed by a, uh, a black man or... Uh, who's the actor you want? Donald Glover. Donald Glover. And to me, it doesn't matter. I don't care what color his hair is. I don't care what how tall he is. I don't care about that stuff. To me, it's all about being a hero. And Peter Parker's uh, unselfish. So I'll be unselfish with sharing news. <laughs> okay. <you're laughs> <closer. laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Peter Parker will do anything to... He's the, every, he's the everyday person. He might be Spider-Man. He might have fantastical powers. But at the end, he's still a great person, and to his core, that's who he is. And I think that's how he's portrayed, and I think that's how he, why he is the most popular comic book character in the world. is because you can relate to him. You can be me, a fat white guy, and you can still see yourself as Spider-Man because you want, those virtu- you want Spider-Man's virtues to be your own, where he's, he doesn't waver. You know, he might make a bad decision, but we all make bad decisions, and you have to live with that decision. You might make the right decision at the wrong time. You know, are you going to save Gwen Stacy when she's falling with your webs? By doing that, he killed her. But is he just going to let her fall and hit the water? You know, you it, that's a constant struggle with Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. And that is such a cliche now because it's said in the movies. But it's really true. I mean, yeah. you, you're, you have the ability to save so many people and you have the ability to hurt many people and what are you going to do are you going to save this person or are you going to let him die are you going to kill this person or are you going to and it's not about being spider-man it's about being a, a good person because spider-man is constantly vilified whether it's in the daily bugle or but being a good person is who spider-man is and that's who i think is why i should represent everybody because i want to get that message across it's not about he can crawl up walls he can do this it's how good of a person he is and how well he represents himself. I don't know. Or the everybody. message you want to get across is that when you're sitting uh, in front of the panel where they're presenting the most, like the super secret footage, you're going to have a struggle to decide, do I tweet this with my phone or <laughs> do I write it down through Tumblr? <laughs> so the fans can read it. I think it's, I think I it's would, funny that your whole explanation just now also explains why the the line in the movie that you loved the most was when he finds the girl and says, "I'm doing my very best to save you." Yeah, I mean it's true. I I, I really connect with. I mean that's why I love Spider Man. That's why I connect with him. And I, I guess you're right. I mean I guess that's why I connected with that boy in that movie because he might you know he he can only do so much, but he's gonna try his damnedest to save people. And I've always said, you know, they're probably going to kill Spider-Man and ultimate Spider-Man. It's going to make you cry. It probably will because there was, I'm not even joking. There's um, a moment in the book recently that he said that if I don't do it, then nobody will. And it doesn't matter that Captain America says I'm going to die doing it. I'm still going to do it. And that's his unselfishness. And that's also his, that's how he is and i mean it might be it might be his curse it's his curse i mean that's his his power is his curse because you can never let people know who you that you people that love you you can never tell them who you are who you really are you're this great hero and everybody looks up to you 
Well, except in Ultimate Spider-Man, where pretty much yeah, everybody knows who he is in that. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's a different story. But you know, everybody he's told has gotten hurt. It doesn't matter who it is. It could That's be true. It could be Aunt May, even though it's not physical. Emotionally, she's scarred. Um, she like kicked him out of the house. She kicked him out of the house when she found out in uh, in the Amazing Spider-Man canon. Because of who he is, is why Gwen Stacy's dead. It's not because of. Uh, um, you know, I mean, the Green Goblin is responsible for her death, but at the same time, he bears the responsibility of it because he is Spider-Man. And Gwen Stacy would be alive if Norman Osborn didn't know Peter Parker was Spider-Man and of who he is. Yeah. And well, yeah, and like she's she's dead because he wasn't good enough. Exactly. Oh, he man, made the gotta, wrong decision saving her. I gotta go read some Spider-Man. You do. I looked for I looked for the death of the Stacy's trade paperback. Couldn't find it anywhere. Because even then, uh, there's. Uh, in issue 90 of Amazing Spider-Man, Captain Stacy dies. And again, uh, he's Spider-Man's fighting Dr. Octopus. And, you know, Dr. Octopus has the tentacles that go everywhere. So Spider-Man invented webbing that if he shot uh, his tentacles, his tentacles would lose control for a second and give Spider-Man an opportunity to punch him. By doing that, it knocked off this chimney that was going to fall on this kid. And Captain George Stacy pushed the kid out of the way, crushed captain stacy spider-man swings down picks him up goes up and he says peter i know it's you please take care of gwen and then that gwen dies two years later is kind of just the and that's why he's that's the guilt he lives with i didn't know that that's the worst story i've ever heard oh they're great books though i know i say who cares they kill characters and then bring them back later anyway they never brought back gwen stacy not talking about spider-man like oh. the death of Spider-Man, whatever. They well, no, him, no, like, if they kill him, they killed him like two years ago. Yeah, that other thing. Yeah, that other thing was stupid. Yeah, so whatever. But if they kill him in Ultimate, I'm sure he'll be dead because I mean it's yeah. it's not the real Spider-Man. So they'll but they'll replace him with someone else. Basically. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it's actually going to be his clone in Ultimate like Spider-Man, which is a woman. Yeah. Oh really? You think Clark it's going to be girl Spider-Man? Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be dope. That's my that's my How's guess. How's he going to make out with? They already did that. She was Aranya in the Amazing Fantasy that was short lived. Yeah. Is, if, if if his clone becomes Spider-Man, is his girlfriend still going to be MJ? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. That'd be weird. They got rid of MJ as his girlfriend in that other storyline. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Well, yeah, but that's, that's real Spider-Man. Ultimate Spider-Man is... Uh, <laughs> oh, don't get me started on yeah, the, that, that reboot. Yeah, that was horrible. Some of it I like because it gave Spider-Man made him fun again. But at the same time, you're making a story so stupid that... It's... That's the real answer to your questions about... DC rebooting earlier is that DC changing its numbers does not negatively affect the books as poorly as stories like the one that Ryan is talking about where they they re, they basically rebooted the character the numbers on the book stayed the same the numbers you know that mm. doesn't matter what matters is that in the books they made Spider-Man do something he wouldn't and erased a whole bunch of canon just off so, so bad they could restart not in because everybody hated it so much, then they went and did yeah. everything, basically. But. Not in a million years would Spider-Man make a deal with the devil. Not in a million fucking years. I don't care what was happening. He would not shake the hand with Mephisto, who is Marvel's version of the devil. He would yeah. not in a million years. But then they took the pussy way out, and they said that, uh, oh, it really happened. They just never got married. So all, everything happened, just not yeah. married. What a pussy way out. But Harry Osborn's magically alive. Retarded. <laughs> But he did have a great yeah. moment recently, so I'll forgive him right now. Ultimate Spider-Man is great, though. Yeah. Anyways, totally off topic of, um, you know, That's movies. That's really cool, though, that they're doing a thing uh, to get a fan out there. That's yeah, cool. I want to do it. And uh, my idea is it's a 60-second video. 
is I would go and show everybody all my collection and stuff, and then all of a sudden I'd go, wait a minute, and I'd turn and it'd be like the spider sense going off, and then I'd go fight somebody. Dude. <laughs> That's my idea for the video. I don't know the expi- the actual rules. I had Brad read them. Yeah. Obviously, I have no idea what they are. Or you could do like, uh, you could do like uh, Shaun of the Dead only with Spider-Man, so like there could be a scene where uh, somebody comes and attacks you, and instead of taking your records and throwing them at, at whoever it is, you take all of your issues of Spider-Man and you're <laughs> hurling them across the room. I want to see. Can we just shoot that? I just want to make that now. That's yes. a, that sounds exciting. Any anything for me to dress up as Spider-Man, I'll do. <laughs> I want to be a true oh, hero. Oh man, I want to see that too. <laughs> Anyways, I'm Ryan for Real Nerds, a Nebulous Visions production. Thanks for listening. What a bunch of nerds. And cut. Cut. <laughs>